Good evening. Welcome to a Wednesday night. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Glad that uh, somebody's showing up. Martha, viewer number one. <laughs> okay. I think this is the first Wednesday night that we're having, uh, you know, an online uh, Bible study when like school is really back in session. So that will be interesting. Um, all you parents and kids that are dealing with school. The days have gotten different, haven't they? Hey, Aldermans and Ingrams and Champs and McCampbells and Aloha here. You know, I got, it's already seven o'clock. I was a little late jumping on here. Glad that y'all are uh, ready to go. Um, I'll give you early birds again, the uh, icebreaker for tonight. Since we're going back to school and since Monday was the first day back in Hillsborough County for like in school you know, students actually going back to school, um, I wanted to think and talk about teachers tonight. If you saw my announcement, you know, I want to talk about the greatest teacher ever, Jesus. But I was thinking about teachers and how much teachers change our lives and how much teachers can have influence on us. And my icebreaker was to ask you if you can remember like a favorite teacher and why they were your favorite teacher. I thought about asking for like the worst teacher you ever had, but that seemed too negative. So I want you to think about your favorite teacher and why they were your favorite teacher. Or maybe what was your favorite year in school? Again, teachers have this tremendous influence on us. I, I got to thinking of all the, the educators that we have at Bay Area. And so I started making a list and I came up with like nine names. And I was walking through the office. I asked Aloha, can you think of any other educators? And she started naming names like uh, 28, 29 people who either are teachers or have just retired as being teachers or you know, uh, principals, retired principals. Uh, so we have a lot of educators at Bay Area. So I want you to think about who your favorite teacher was. And I suspect it's, it's amazing to me how we can remember good teachers. I think of teachers that I have, have had, and I remember them. Um, and then while you're thinking about that, I was also thinking, how come there's not more television or movies about teachers? I mean, there's all kind of television shows and movies about cops and lawyers. Not too many television shows or movies about teachers. A few. Can you think of any television shows, Martha? Uh, in high school, um, Mr. Cotter. Welcome back, Cotter. There you go. You're going back a ways, 40 well, years. But yeah, yeah welcome back, uh, Cotter. Vinny Barbarino. And our where, favorite, uh, John our favorite uh, uh, Matilda movie. Uh, Matilda? Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Miss, Miss Trunchbow and Miss Honey. Miss Trunchbull and Miss Honey, that was our daughter's favorite movie for a while. 
Miss Trunchbull, much too good for children, um, was the mean teacher. Miss Honey was the great teacher. Yeah. yeah. And I have to thank more. Um, just... Dead Poet Society had John Keating. He was a great you, teacher. You had time to think, though. I know. I already had time to think about it a little bit. Mr. Holland's Opus. Here's some, here's some, um, I'll, I'll get, here's, this is for extra credit. If you know who, whose teacher Miss Landers was, or Helen Crump. Now, Jim Ingram will know Helen Crump, I know, but, uh, and you know Miss Landers, right? I Don't say yet. Okay. Yeah. Miss Landers was a teacher to one of my favorite uh, television characters. But, uh, okay. So yeah, uh, if you can think of maybe somebody who was a favorite teacher and why, I mentioned, uh, I can remember some teachers that really had an impact on me. In high school, I had these two math teachers. They were both coaches, so I knew them really well. But uh, Mr. Maserta and Mr. Oaks uh, were both yeah, math teachers of question. mine. Jim Ingram already answered. Yeah, Helen Crump was, uh, that's Opie's teacher. And uh, Andy's. That's Cindy Bradley girlfriend. said Beaver Cleaver. Beaver Cleaver. Thank you, Cindy Bradley. Uh, uh, also one of my favorite TV shows. But, uh, but you're getting a lot of personal teachers. Good. That was, that was, the, that was the question personal teachers. Um, but yeah, I had those two coaches that they were just really good teachers and they were great guys, great men. And uh, I really appreciated the what they taught me. I lot of remember room 222, which it sounds familiar, yeah. but I don't remember. I do remember two, room 222. That's old people saying that. Yeah, that's people that were watching TV in the 70s. Personally, my all-time favorite teacher was my fourth grade teacher. Um, had this woman in the fourth grade who was the nicest, kindest, sweetest woman. Uh, she was really like a lot like a mother to me. She only gave us Yeah, actually she was my mother. Um, I, uh, I had my mother as a fourth grade teacher and uh, it was the only time I ever got a spanking. At school. At school. It was in the fourth grade by Mrs. Stutzman and I was completely innocent the whole time. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go back and and we might if we have time we'll talk about it but uh I've got this thing again saying sorry we're having trouble playing the video so I am hoping that I am still live I can't see that I am but I'm going to hope that we are and uh I'm hoping that you're staying with me too What do you think is it, am I still on Martha You are online So far so I'm good behind you. Okay <laughs> So far so good Well like I said I was thinking about teachers um School is going back in session. And I was thinking about the greatest teacher ever. And again, it's not a contest. It was absolutely Jesus. And I want you to think a little bit about the kind of stir that Jesus created. We've talked about this before. Uh, crowds flocked to Jesus. I mean, he just drew these huge crowds. Once he had to get into a boat, a couple times actually, and get away from the crowds because they were pressing in so close uh, once people actually cut a hole in the ceiling and lowered a guy down because the room was so full. Short people climbed trees so that they could see him. He just drew crowds, but that was never the intention of his teaching. Jesus never taught just to draw crowds. Um, in fact, when the crowds got too big, Jesus would usually share some really tough teaching and then the crowds would, would thin out a little bit. And of course, eventually, 
Jesus's teaching becomes so controversial and so explosive that they end up killing him. Um, but this evening, I, I want to consider a few things about Jesus's teaching. And I mentioned it in the announcement uh, for tonight's class, but um, I want you to think a little bit about um, how Jesus taught. And there's a phrase that comes up several times with how Jesus teaches. And I'm going to give you a couple references here. Uh, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew gives some commentary on Jesus's teaching. And in verse 28, Matthew writes, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He taught as one who had authority. And then at the beginning of his ministry, Mark says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 21. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Almost exactly what Matthew says. And then just a couple verses later in Mark, chapter 1, verse 27, the people were all amazed and they asked each other, who is this? Or what is this? I'm sorry. A new teaching and with authority. People immediately recognized that Jesus' teaching was very different than what they were used to hearing. Very different than the, the teachers of the law. And the phrase they kept saying was, he teaches with authority. Now, let's back up just a little bit and remind ourselves, um, how were people used to being taught in the first century? Well, there were people in, in Jesus's day called rabbis. In fact, 11 times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to as a rabbi. And you're the Wednesday night crowd. You know what a rabbi is, who, who, who rabbis were. Uh, a rabbi was a Jewish spiritual teacher, a scholar who was qualified not just to teach, but to interpret and give application to the law, to, to God's word. A question. Does anybody have a guess as to how many rabbis are mentioned in the Old Testament? 39 books. How many rabbis do you read about in the Old Testament? I won't give you a chance to, for the lag to catch up, but the answer is none. Zero. There are no rabbis mentioned in the Old Testament. Why not? Well, if you remember in the Old Testament, uh, God used prophets and he used uh, priests and he used kings to, 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 to share with the people. Um, and if you remember your Old Testament history, and I'm sure you do, that the, the kingdom of Israel was split into it was the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom was wiped out. The southern kingdom was uh, overrun. Eventually, most of the Israelites were living in exile. Um, by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, there hadn't really been a word from the God through prophets in about 400 years. So by the first century, it seems like everything has gone wrong for Israel. They have no army. They have no wealth. They have no freedom. They have no power. They have no king. They have no prophet. What do they have? They have the book. They have the word of God. 
Rome had the, the armies and uh, Greece had the, the culture. Egypt had the wealth. Phoenicia had the ships. Israel had the book. In fact, they were known as the people of the book. And the book was very important to them. The book was the word of God. And they loved the book. They studied the book. They tried to live by the book. And there emerged this group of people called rabbis whose position it was to read the book, read God's word, interpret God's word, share it, and tell people how it applies to their life. Um, very respected. Rabbis were very respected. And it's important to think about this because 2,000 years later, I'm not sure we really get this. Rabbis would read the, the book, read Torah, and they would explain what God is trying to, to tell his people. Uh, and often, it happened all the time, the way they would do it is a rabbi would cite other rabbis for interpretation. And there were different schools of rabbinical teaching. And I might say, well, uh, this particular rabbi says this, but this particular rabbi says that. Almost like a lawyer citing case law. And it was very common for rabbis to teach that way. And then Jesus shows up. And he doesn't teach like the other rabbis. Uh, he teaches with authority. And people recognize that. If you remember, quite often Jesus would say, truly I say to you. If you got, you know, a, a King James Version, it's verily I say unto you. And then in the book of John, he doubles down on it. Truly, truly, I say to you. Verily, verily, I say to you. Over 50 times in the book of John, Jesus will say, truly, truly, I say to you. What's he saying? He's not, he's not stuttering. Why is he saying truly, truly? It's a very significant phrase. And what Jesus is saying is, I know. I know. Uh, I know. I have authority. I am the authority. I know about you. I know about the Father. I know about the heart of man. I know about the heart of God. I am not going to refer to. I am not going to defer to. I'm not going to cite any other rabbi. I don't have to give you anyone else's opinion because I know. And Jesus is claiming really to have perfect understanding of the book. I don't need to reference anyone else. I know what the book says. I know what the book means. And now, of course, he's completely humble. He washes his disciples' feet. He serves the needy. And this condemnation of complete humility and complete understanding really would change the world. You know, you won't trust anyone unless you're convinced that they know what they're talking about, right? I'm not going to trust someone if I'm not convinced they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Some uh, comedian, I can't remember who it was, but has this bit about, have you ever gone to a doctor for the very first time and you've never seen this guy before or this lady before and you're sitting there in the little room and in walks the doctor and you immediately think, no, no, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I want my doctor, 
I want to be able to feel like my doctor knows what he's talking about. The guy who's given me financial advice, I'm not going to trust him unless I'm convinced that he knows what he's talking about. And this is how Jesus taught. He teaches with authority. And we kind of take that for granted a little bit. But that's how he taught. He taught with authority. Okay, why? Why did Jesus teach? And again, he's introducing this whole new kind of teaching, this whole new focus for sure. Um, but even today, when you think of teaching, our idea of teaching involves pretty much just the transfer of information, right? Again, we've got a lot of educators in our family. Um, even today, a teacher is sort of like the person who fills up their students with information. You know, they're the empty container and the teacher is pouring this information into this empty container. And of course, really today, the only way that a student is evaluated is, are they able to regurgitate the information that's been poured into them? When I was in school, I wanted to know, is this going to be on the test? Because all I wanted to do was be able to pass the test. And you teachers know this. You know, you teachers have been asked, is this going to be on the test? Because if it's not going to be on the test, I don't need to learn it. Um, little boy came home from his first day of first grade, and his mother asked him, so what'd you learn today? And he said, apparently not enough. I've got to go back tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, Martha. Mark, I need you. Give me the pity laugh. Thank you. The, the golf clap. Thank you. But, but Jesus doesn't teach just to fill us with knowledge. Um, Jesus doesn't teach just so we can pass the test. Jesus teaches to change lives. You know, I, I say this all the time, but I, I truly, truly believe it. Jesus didn't teach for the sake of information. He teaches for the sake of transformation. And, and listen, this is, this is, I truly, truly believe this too. If you're learning things about Jesus and your life isn't changing, you're not learning the things that Jesus came to teach. I believe that. If you are learning things about Jesus and what you're learning isn't changing your life, then you're missing what Jesus wants you to get. Um, Jesus taught to change lives. And the people that listened and obeyed, their lives were changed. End of Sermon on the Mount, again, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on a rock. Jesus never taught for the sake of proving how much he knew. I don't know if you ever had teachers that do that. Man, that used to really turn me off. When a teacher would just like, oh, okay, you're bragging now, okay? It's not going to be on the test, so, you know, you don't have to show me how impressive you are. But Jesus never taught to show someone how much he knew. Um, and he never taught just to pass along information. His teaching was for the purpose of changing lives. Uh, and then finally, what did he teach? And we're not going to answer this in the next seven minutes, but let me at least share a couple thoughts with you. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. I hope that passage is familiar to you. We've spent a whole sermon series in it last month. 
to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you abide in my word, you really are my disciples, then you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And right before the, the cross, he is having a conversation, Jesus, with Pilate. And in John chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate says, you are a king then. And Jesus answers, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then in verse 38, uh, Pilate asks his famous question, what is truth? And isn't that really what people want to know? What is truth? Or is there such a thing as absolute quantitative truth? It's a very volatile subject. But Jesus says you can know the truth. The truth will set you free. You can know the truth, and the truth is all wrapped up in God. One time an expert in the law came along and he asked Jesus a question, which wasn't unusual. And it wasn't unusual for people to ask rabbis questions, but it uh, happened fairly often. Uh, Matthew chapter 22 is the reference I'm talking about. Verse 34, uh, Jesus has just had a conversation with the Sadducees, and um, it didn't go well for them. But uh, Matthew 22, 34 says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher. He recognizes Jesus as a teacher. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We know this passage. We know this interaction. We know what the question was, and we know what the answer is. I don't have to tell you what the answer is. You already know. But when Jesus gives his answer here in Matthew, he does something that no rabbi would ever imagine doing. He does something that's almost unthinkable for a rabbi to do. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, which was not unthinkable for a rabbi. All rabbis quoted Deuteronomy 6. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You know that passage, but you probably don't appreciate just how sacred that passage is to a Jewish person, and it always has been. It's called the Shema. Um, it, it would have been repeated in every meeting at the synagogue. They would have repeated the Shema. Uh, any self-respecting Jew would have repeated it uh, at least twice a day. The very first thing they taught their children, as soon as they could talk, was Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, all your soul, and all your strength. They would have quoted that passage all the time. Everyone listening to Jesus knew that statement. But Jesus does a staggering thing when he answers this guy, when he quotes back to him the Shema. And, and we usually miss what Jesus did. In fact, I bet a lot of you have missed what Jesus does when he quotes the Shema back. He adds something to it. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus adds something to the Shema. He adds the word mind, with all your 
mind. It's not in Deuteronomy 6. Now, in Mark's account, um, Jesus will say strength as well. But even in Mark's account, he still answers with mind. Why would Jesus do that? It would be like you asking me, hey, preacher, quote John 3.16 for me. Sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life and eternal joy. You recognize, wait a minute, that's not quite right. You added something. Jesus adds something to the Shema. With all your mind. What's it mean, teacher, to love God with all your mind? Well, for one thing, it means to think about God, right? Set your mind on things above. You know, when you love someone, don't you think about them all the time? Sure you do. Now, if you're in love with someone and, you know, you're, you're wondering what they're doing, where they are during the day. To think about God, to love God with all your mind, I think it, it also involves being curious about God. I think, I think, I, I, I know there's a lot of people, but I think there's too many Christians that aren't very curious about God. I wonder why God wanted me to read this today. I wonder what God's trying to tell me. I, I wonder what this passage is, 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 is you know, why is, why is God trying to, trying to get my attention here? Are you ever curious about God? Love God with all your mind. Think about him all the time. Read the Bible. It's about him. (laughs) The book is about God. Uh, Be curious. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to keep digging and, and thinking and searching and questioning. Romans chapter 12, you knew I'd end up there. Uh, You're not conforming longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Spirit of God transforms us, but we have to make the decision to allow God's word to work in our lives. The Apostle Paul uh, would offer this warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I'm talking about just information. Knowledge puffs up, but but love builds up. How would Paul know that knowledge puffs up? Because Paul was the knowledge guy. Paul was the smart guy. Paul was the educated guy. He was the guy you wanted on your team when you were playing Trivial Pursuit or Jeopardy or something like that. But Paul comes to the realization, you know what, knowledge, it puffs up. Love, that's what builds up. Jesus is this amazing teacher. The night before the cross, he's with his disciples. He's still teaching, by the way. Um, And they knew he was a teacher. But they also knew he was much more than just a teacher. And John records in John chapter 13, Jesus saying, You call me teacher and Lord, And rightly so. That's what I am. Jesus acknowledges that his closest friends recognize him as a teacher, but not just teacher, Lord. 
He says, rightly so, that's who I am. I think too many people know Jesus as teacher and not nearly enough people know Jesus as Lord. And we've got to do something about that because the stakes are way too high for people to know Jesus just as a teacher and not know Jesus as Lord. Now, how did he teach? He taught with authority. He wasn't overbearing. His, his yoke was easy. Um, what did he teach? He taught truth. And he said, I am the way. I am the truth. As followers of Jesus, I'm convinced that the truth will always lead back to Jesus. I'm not afraid of science. I'm a, I have a science background. I'm not afraid of archaeology. I'm not afraid of physics. I mean, if something's true, it's going to point back to Jesus. Because Jesus is the truth. Now, why did he teach? He taught to change lives. Again, if you're learning something about Jesus and your life isn't changing, you are not learning what Jesus wants you to learn. He didn't come to share information. He came to, to prompt transformation. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. And we're starting school back. Our kids are focused on teachers. Think about the greatest teacher ever. What makes those teachers so great? And usually it's not, and I haven't read the comments yet, but, you know, it's not because they were just so good at sharing information. It's the way they did it and the heart behind it and how they, you know, they just, they cared about me. Um, that's what makes a great teacher. But Jesus wasn't just a great teacher. He was Lord as well. The greatest teacher that ever stepped foot on the face of the planet was both teacher and Lord. And we don't want to forget that. Um, I want to end with prayer, and then I want to uh, share some announcements with you, and uh, so let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that uh, you have given us your word, and the truth that is in your word, absolute truth for all times, all places, all people. And we are thankful that Jesus was not just a great teacher, but he was, is, and will ever be Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would be focused on, uh, on his teaching and the way it changes our lives and the need that others have to, to hear the good news of Jesus. So help us to be very bold as we think about this teacher and our Lord. Pray that you would continue to be with the, the Bay Area family. Father, I pray that you be with Faye's aunt, Lorraine uh, Chisholm, uh, the family, as her aunt has passed away in Buffalo. And I pray that you would bless that family with comfort. Pray that you continue to be with David Harkins as he is, uh, remains in ICU. That you would be with uh, Linda Kyle, Teresa's mom, going through some health struggles, with Rodland's parents with our missionaries working in very difficult situations and pray that you'd be with all of our teachers, all of our educators, all of our students as they are getting back to a very difficult school year. And I pray that you would bless them. Continue to be with us during a time of uncertainty and a time of just with a virus that has changed our world 
And um, I pray that we look for opportunities to share your love. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Hey, um, am I still on, by the way, Martha? Okay. Again, for some reason, I'm looking at a black screen. Uh, probably a good thing. couple quick announcements. First and foremost, I want to remind you that this Sunday, the 6th, we are actually, will be our first week of reopening the building. Um, yeah. Um, this To kind of stay with, keep everybody safe, you know, we're going to try to do our very best at social distancing and all those things. All that information is on a video on our website and I think most of our Facebook pages as well. Seating in the auditorium is limited and so you need to register just so we'll be able to make plans and have a place for everybody and you can do that. Uh, there's links on our website and Vital Concern and again uh, that um, that video explains the whole reopening process. So please go back and watch that. And I will go ahead and say here as well that if you're uncomfortable getting around people again, we get it. And we are going to be live streaming just like we have been at 10 o'clock on Sunday. We'll be live streaming the same service that everybody's going to be, you know, attending if they so choose. So um, don't feel any pressure to, to come back if you're uncomfortable about that. But if you would like to get back in the building and, and worship with family in that way, you need to register. And we're asking you to do that by noon tomorrow. It's going to take some work to get things ready. And there's some planning involved. So if you can um, register by noon tomorrow, that would be very helpful. Um, uh, this weekend, uh, what are they calling it? Um, SunQuest. SunQuest Local. SunQuest Local is going on. So our teenagers and Robbie and that group will be involved in SunQuest, which usually meets in Orlando, but because of virus, uh, they're doing it differently this year. Robbie is the, uh, speaking in a couple classes, and our, our kids are going to be involved in that. And that's going on this weekend. Um, still a lot of life groups that uh, have some room in them and new life groups being formed. I saw that Rhonda Starks, and I think Josh Starks is- I think um, Josh is the star here. Josh might be the star here. I think a, so. Um, uh, cooking to bless others, which sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and if anybody wants to start a eating to be blessed by others, I have some nights available that uh, uh, get, get in touch with Rhonda. Rhonda. Yeah. If you want to be a part of that, uh, sounds like a fun life group and use cooking to, to maybe bless some other people. So. Um, okay, I think that's all I have. Um, any comments, anything that, that I need to be aware of, Martha? Well, the one that you said you didn't want to mention, Alola, posted about it. Okay, <laughs> the one that I said I wasn't going to mention, I'll mention it, I don't care. Uh, tomorrow is Harold, uh, my father's 90th birthday. And um, everybody loves to get a birthday card, right? So, happy birthday, Dad. I know that you're watching this. Uh, so, yeah, happy birthday. You can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? Uh, a lot of good comments about favorite teachers. Okay. I'm going to go back and look at those comments about favorite teachers. Um, and before I get off, I know I'm starting to ramble a minute, so I'm going to cut this really short. But, you know, I keep, we all keep agreeing these are such weird times. 
several of you have reached out and encouraged a lot of us, and some of you reached out and encouraged me very specifically this past week. And um, you know, the cards and the, the messages, um, very timely. Sometimes I think God uh, has a way of, of uh, putting those things you know, in front of us right when we need it. So those uh, acts of kindness and encouragement have not gone unnoticed. And I am, I'm just super impressed with uh, the stories that I'm hearing about the way that uh, the Bay Area is staying connected in a hard time to stay connected. Um, we haven't talked about, I haven't mentioned it in months, but you know, your generosity is amazing. Our, our giving has continued right along. We've been able to fulfill our commitments to our missionaries and, who, and having really hard time who are in really India. struggling. Uh, yeah, I think the, uh, the, the, the church in uh, Kanakar, India, uh, is asking for specific prayers, but thank you for your generosity. Um, you, you are blessing others. Um, so um, I'm very proud to be a part of this family. And with that, I will see you at 10 o'clock on Sunday. Some of you I'll see personally. The rest of you I hope to see virtually uh, at 10 o'clock Sunday. Thank you.